We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast with your host today, me, Tim. Yes, it's not Elliot. He is still incredibly busy with his other less important job than this one. So I am taking the hot mic today and joining me to discuss, well, what we discuss will become apparent soon enough. But joining me is Clive Palmer, who you can follow on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Clive, good evening. Hello, hello. You say it like I was some sort of new bloke. (laughs) (laughs) Good good evening. Um, So, Clive, um, I figured for a kind of start, well, we we had a good discussion about this um, on the on the kind of on the back channel on the WhatsApp. um, And I know the quotes from Steve Round, Arsenal's assistant manager, were doing the rounds earlier this week and and they got you quite excited. They got me quite excited as well and and what i'm going to do just as a starter for 10 clive is i'm literally just going to read some of the pertinent quotes from the interview that steve round gave just in case people haven't seen them because i'm not sure how many people have engaged with them but i'm just going to read like a a fairly lengthy section because i think they're really interesting and really important and then i'm not going to ask you a question i'm just going to ask you to react to them because to be honest when i read them i kind of thought has clive written this (laughs) because it kind of sounded like your words coming out of his mouth so let me let let me read like the transcript this is not the entire transcript but the the really kind of juicy bits so this is steve round arsenal's assistant manager we're continually working on emotional intelligence and leadership styles within the group whether that's the head coach the two assistant head coaches or even the captain's group within the team 
How will you formulate that is bringing togetherness and spirit. You're forever trying to build a resonant environment and take it away from dissonance. Discipline, self-discipline and making sure that our behaviour, positive behaviours, are continually reinforced. Negative behaviours are pulled up. There are certain things we will not accept. If a teammate is showing disrespect to another teammate, perhaps the ball hasn't come to him and he's thrown his arms up. That's telling the world this guy has made a mistake. We don't blame like that. We don't do that. If the guy has made a mistake, our responsibility is to help him overcome that mistake. You're forever showing the players this and making them accountable and responsible for their actions. It's making sure the environment you're in and the culture you're trying to build is consistent consistent at the elite level. You're consistently giving them the information that helps them to become better players or helps them to become a better team and then you're consistently enforcing the quality of behaviour that you want to see. There's no magical formula to generating a resonant and elite culture, it's just every day getting all the little things right. Every day. Clive, take the floor. Yeah, I mean to me that is just wonderful because one of the things that's really sort of concerned me has just been the decreasing of size of the club and by that I mean what's acceptable what's allowed to be accepted and this has been a slow chipping away at our culture and our elitism and our aura and our place in the game this has been happening for about a decade now and what we've done we've concentrated our thought process into the failings of individuals whether it be the manager whether it be the the ownership structure, whether it be a certain player, we've just quantified that in down to individual when actually it's everything. It's everything by how you act, who you are, what you represent. That's one of our phrases, right? But are we actually living it? And it took maybe Arteta to come in to remind us that if you have the right communication and you transmit the right behaviours and you set the right pillars and culture in place and make people work to that, you can, from that sort of protective state, you can say and do almost anything as long as it's within the structures and the standards that you place. There's something you said in there about, about the captains. They had a word with the captains. Now, if a certain Spanish coach said that to you, Tim, you'd be going, <laughs> oh, my goodness, captains, what's he doing? It's all about, you know, we've we got one captain. We used to have Tony Adams. We used to have Pachi Vieira. Hold on a minute. Every single group has a – every single team has a leadership group. Mm. But the way our previous manager, stroke coach, articulated it, it was, it was muddled. It was confused. It was inconsistent. When the new guy says it, because he's working from structures, he's communicating in a way, he's able to tell his story in a, in a better way, suddenly this just goes straight past us. It feels totally reasonable because everything else that you see is starting to join up. And the more I hear about the coaching culture, this is how you build foundations. This is how you do it. You reconnect people to the pillars and the structures by which are immovable, by which the club is representative of. And you put those in place and everyone buys in. And people are looking for him to sort of project. And he's just saying, no, it's day by day. Day by day we we live. Remember his first interview, Tim? Mm, it's about the way we live. you live. 
and he's now putting it into action, isn't he? I mean, did it sort of resonate with you in a similar way? Yeah, big time. And it, it made me think of a few examples that maybe we've seen already. Um, and it made me think of Mustafi. You know, Mustafi made a pretty big error at Stamford Bridge and perhaps Mustafi is lucky that it was David Luiz who got sent off because David yeah. Luiz, he, he's a magnet for criticism and if something goes wrong, there, there were two stories on ESPN Brazil um, within an hour of the Brentford footage going out because you know he made that, that's you know a bit of an error about 10 seconds before the goal goes in. Like he's a magnet for criticism but... But, you know, Mustafi makes that error and uh, and everyone thinks, right, well, that's him done because that, because you're right. That's how we've, you know, we focused on the individuals and and I think understandably with Mustafi. But Arteta, I was at that press conference immediately after that game and he was asked about Mustafi and he said, no, I, I, I accept mistakes. But what I saw from him after that was he kept playing. He didn't hide. And and that's that kind of, I guess, that accountability part, right? Yeah. I think, you know, he said about his reaction, didn't he? He's more yeah. focused on his reaction. If you're playing for Arsenal, you're going to make mistakes. It's what you do in the next two minutes that really count. If you sulk your way out and you've got to be substituted, then you, you don't belong in that shirt, you know? So um, it can't, the interesting things around body language, I, I think for me, is it's starting to hit home. So... There may be two or three players that have suffered for me in what I call body language, attitude, from, from the outside. So I'm just going to throw it out there, see what you think. So there are three players in maybe Pepe, Maitland-Niles, and Guendouzi. Now, I think they, they're quite relaxed, quite cool, quite individualistic players. They don't look like they're busting a gut all the time. Um, Guendouzi in particular is quite demonstrative in his actions when he loses the ball and to the referee. And then you look at players that have come in that potentially have put them under pressure. So you've got, say, Reese Nelson, quite hardworking, you know, quite a a solid, you know, a solid up and down, a working hard, willing to listen, got ability, looks coachable, looks like he's working hard, coach's dream, right? You look at someone maybe like Sabias in comparison to Guendouzi, a bit more experienced, does a similar job, hard-working, gives a perception that he's dashing around, his body language is pretty good, he's quite determined. You know, and, he, and you look around, you know, obviously Bellerin and Maitland-Niles, for example, and, you, and you're, looking at, you're looking around and you're thinking, he's talking about non-negotiables, he's talking about your body language, but then he's actually dropping these people away. He's taking them out, he's making them work for their their position so they now have to be accountable to the culture that the club and the dressing room has agreed to unless they change they won't play and we've seen flickers of them changing he seems to be giving them a second chance so body language is important and people say oh club we talk about it's about playing it's not about playing it's about the group it's about the dressing room and how they are together you will not get anywhere if there are fractions and someone thinks he's better than somebody else, because I guarantee you all of them will give the ball away at some point. It's really good to see him driving that, that culture in the group. And what really jumped out at me, um, just, just reading uh, that fairly long passage from Steve Round, was what was the language. Um, and kind of full disclosure, I, I, I spent Monday evening um, chatting to Lisa Evans, who, who plays for the women's team, Yep. And um, one of the questions I asked her 
Um, I, I'd say Joe Montemoro is, is kind of a similar kind of coach to Arteta, like very focused on details. And um, I, I said to her, from speaking to you as the players, what I've noticed since Joe came in is the way you talk changes and your language has become more technical. So when I interview you guys after games now, I hear you saying stuff like low block or we needed to go a bit higher or width and depth and you know all those kind of stock coaching phrases and she said that one of the first things he did when he came in the door was focus on words was literally focusing on like the lexicon that the players use and she said yeah. it started with the psychologists who's, who kept using this language kept using these phrases action reaction things like that and they're all pinned up around the training ground and she said like one of the first things he did in order to create clarity of instruction was agree on a language that we all understood and reading that from Steve Round the word consistency comes up I don't know how many times elite resonant these, these are words that are not they're not words that just trip off your tongue they're words because you're speaking a language and you're trying to almost subliminally lace that into into your players do, is, is that something you feel is going on as well? I, I do I, I really do I think I think it's almost like restitching the club back together again. We talk about connectivity and a lack of connection, and I think you can't just think you're elite. You have to be it. You can't just think you're a big club. You have to act that way in everything that you do. And that's what separates you from people not in your position with the same resources, etc. It's not just a badge over the front door of the stadium. It's the people within it. And you have to build those people, and it's how you work together. And so we, you know, we've all got jobs, and we work for an organisation, but I guarantee you there's 10 people in that firm that control your destiny, control your career, control your life. That's your internal network. And the same in the football club. You have to make sure you have your internal network, and you have to make sure within that you have the right behaviours. They connect to those people appropriately. I'm a, I'm a big fan in you've got to action it. You've got to do it. You've got to be it. Don't just talk it. And I felt for many a time as a club, we have been complacent in our behaviours. And it's and it's from in everything we do, we are complacent just too late, not proactive. The, con you know, the thing that really manifests itself is our contract deals over the last few years. But it's not the only thing. The recruitment and retention and development of players has been complacent. Our economic spend has been complacent. Mm. We, we, we haven't adjusted from having no money to having some money. It's almost like when you're a young, young married couple, you're walking around savings when you've got no money with a calculator. Suddenly you both get good jobs and you're not really worried about what you put in your trolley anymore. You're just chucking any old crap in because you can afford it. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And we've been chucking any old crap in our trolley, mate, and leaving stuff on the back of the freezer for way too long. And it's gone off. Mm. You know, and we needed to change this. We, we made one step with Emery and it was, the, it was almost too much the other way. You know, and um, I can remember talking to a few mates saying to me, you know, he's our Bruce Real, because I argued against it massively. And um, But you know what, looking back in 10 years' time, that he may be our Bruce Real, you know, in our yeah. Arsenal history period. And some people say now that Arteta is our George Graham. But I don't think, just because he's putting a culture in place, he's not doing it Gaddafi style, you know what I mean, Tim? He's not doing it that way. He's making, he's coaching. And when you coach, you challenge the individual 
to solve issues themselves. You challenge the individual to self-teach, answer questions that are posed to them, and how would they solve the problem. Some of that's technical, some of that's coaching, some of that's as a human behavioural situation. In George Graham's time, he was far more authoritarian in his delivery. He redid it by repeat messaging, repeat messaging, high discipline, right, until he didn't have it anymore. You know, so um, so I do like where this coaching team is going, and I, I know you feel the same from the snippets we get out. If you if you understand coaching, leadership, culture, everything that we've read and heard since he's come on board is like music to my ears. Yeah, same here. And um, again, I'm just just for the last time, I'm just going to make that cross reference to the women's team with uh, with Joe Montemoro because I th- I think there is cross reference there. It's the same type of guy, isn't he? It's it, the same type of guy. He is details focused, focused on culture um, as well. And I know so the Arsenal women's team they they have like three rules. I've only ever been able to weed all one of them. Um, out of them so I don't know exactly what the other two are I can probably make a good guess but the only one I know for sure is um, and and I know that they're all all three of them are like quite broad and snappy but one of them is don't complain and that's pinned up in their uh, area in the changing room don't complain and that's kind of what you're talking about about being solution oriented because the whole the culture is look if someone's done something wrong don't complain help them to do it right next time and if it's something you can't fix anyway like a refereeing decision or something like that then there is no point in complaining and it's all about building that accountability and that's why I really like when Steve Brown makes that really specific connection to you know if you don't get the ball and you throw your arms up in the air and and I think that's something we've seen too often at Arsenal because the culture has been too individual focused for better and for worse. And, and maybe it even started when we started buying stars like Ozil and Sanchez and we started looking at them and going, oh God, please dig us out of this hole. And, and I, I just kind of feel that we're moving towards something a little bit or we, at least we're trying to move towards something a bit more collective and and i think that's what they're really driving at yeah you're absolutely right mate they when we got us because we were we went out the youth sort of area and we got us and sanchez and we sort of threw ourselves into those individuals as fans as well by the way you probably can add randy mm-hmm. to that to that and um and then i think the whole club did though it's almost like oh, there you go we bought some jewels for you you've, you've asked us to spend some money let's just see what they do and we'll sit up in the uh, diamond club and have a nice glass of wine right so um it felt a little bit like that and, and until we weren't really watching the family silver we weren't watching close enough so i totally agree with you we're moving away from an individualistic single points of failure type culture where we had a, a manager that we couldn't do without we had certain players that just had to play and too many, you know, I, I, I call it support actors, just taking their money, not doing quite enough for it, right? So um, now we need to have a situation where we don't just look at the Tom Cruises out there. We have a, a group of actors that are all really good that could all lead the film, and that's what we need to get to, and that means we've got to have a, a level of quality and a level of behaviour. And I think, I, I, from what I'm seeing, you know, what I'm reading, yeah, 
But the ball is round and the grass is green, mate. <laughs> As he saw versus Brentford, we're shit again. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just want to draw on just a couple more of the, of the comments from the Steve Round interview because I think it's, re- it's really fascinating. And, and this one's like more of a, a technical kind of standpoint, how the coaching sessions work. So th- this is a shorter section than the one I read earlier, but I'll read it anyway. So Steve says, there is group training almost every day and we will train skill set, skill acquisition and technical every day. They still go through skill sets every day, whether that's in the pre-training or after training. Say, for example, we might bring the two centre forwards back to do extra work on scoring. We may decide we want to do penalties. Every day there's a theme around some form of skill acquisition. Middle bulk of the session is around the manager's ideas of how we play, our methodology, this is how we play, this is what we do, and then closer to the game we start training for the opposition. So this is tweaking what we do to exploit the opposition's weaknesses or tweak it to negate their strengths. So from a, a, a and, and you're a coach as well, from a kind of technical standpoint, how, how does that sound to you at the risk of making the question really vague? <laughs> no, it's, uh, what, it looks as though he's putting in place playing principles. It's establishing those principles by which everyone believes in. So wherever that is, is how you progress the ball through midfield. I don't know if you noticed the other day on the pitch, there's those extra lines on the pitch, mm-hmm. which is really what he's really doing now. He's now focusing on zones mm-hmm. and, and having people in wide areas, Barcelona style, keeping in those zones, making sure that you hit certain zones at certain times on the pitch, you know, high crossing positions, in the box, high shot positions. I guarantee he's playing a more zonal, positional game and build-up game and pattern play. And so to do that, that is repetition. You know, that is pure. I mean, football is a lot of repetition. The training can, you know, if you're a player, it can be a little bit boring at times. Mm. But the the benefit is on match day when you move half a yard quicker than somebody, half a yard for a cross, half a yard movement for a, for a side foot into the box. You've got to be that good to be other players that can run and jump just like you can. Right? So <clears throat> at this level, the benefits are in the automisms that you put together, automisms, I can't remember that right word, <laughs> but um, the automatic pattern play, I call it, and that's the benefit of that. So again, he's, he's establishing playing principles and a playing culture. This is who we are. This is how we are on the pitch, behaviour-wise. This is how we play. Re-establish it. That's your basis. And then you tweak your top layer based on your opposition that you're playing against and certain individuals that you're playing against. And when he says we're closer to the game, we start training for the opposition. So you re-establish the principles every single day in training. As you get closer to the opposition, you take those basic principles, then you apply them and tweak them for the opposition. You may want to tack down one side a little bit more. So you have your way of attacking, but you may focus on one side because they have a weakness on that side. Or you may have a player with a certain style and profile which allows us to dominate a player in their team which looks after that so you can get beyond them that way. You may have a situation where that team you're playing against is not so good on the second ball. So do we want to play a longer game so we can win the second balls and create wide ways of attack? There are many different pieces of data that come out that tell you how the other team plays. Can you tweak your style, maybe your directness and your build-up or anything you can do to overcome the opposition, but not doing it in the way that Emery did it, where he seemed to look entirely at the opposition and completely change the construct of the team 
based on who he was playing against, which goes against that elite culture, Tim, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. If you're too wide about your position, what does that say about you? Do you see what I mean? Yep. So he went for a situation where Wenger didn't care about the opposition. He did t- entirely it's about our culture and how we play, regardless of your position. But the game has moved beyond that. You have to have, you can't quite be Emery, Emery. You can't quite be Wenger. You need to be both. And it seems to me, from reading that, that they're trying to be to do that in the right way. Establish the culture, establish the principles, respect the opposition. Yeah, yeah, and and one last time that that is exactly how Joe does it as well. So like the way Joe, I, and again I asked him about this, and he said basically the, the the words he used were, if they just do like if they just play to our basic principles, they will all get a six or seven out of ten in terms of what they can produce in in the game, and then the rest is kind of based on the little tweaks and obviously on their individual intuition and how they react in game and things like that. But basically his point was if if you just do the basic philosophy, we will always be at least good. And then it's about kind of building on building on some of those fundamentals and kind of yeah, like you say, just just tweaking for the opposition and, and making a couple of simple, clear kind of adjustments. I'm I'm just going to kind of read out just to bring to a close the Steve Brown comments just to move the discussion on actually because he was talking about talent identification as well and this is where mm-hmm. I want to move the discussion on um because I mean I, I was can on... hear I can hear Elliot screaming because <laughs> <laughs> we talk about data aren't you so go, go well ahead. so I, I I was on um another podcast earlier today uh, called the Football Today podcast and and just asked to give like a bit of a thousand foot view of where I see Arsenal at the moment and effectively my personal conclusion was I have faith in the coaching staff and and even if it doesn't work. I I won't blame the club for that. I will not say, oh, you did something ridiculous. Like I can follow the thinking of the coaches, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I like I won't blame them for that. I think they've done the right thing with who they've appointed. My anxiety is over, I guess, the the executive branch of the club, and this is where I'm going to move it on with with some more of Steve Brown's comments. Um, where he's talking about scouting and he says you still have the eye on the ground the scout who goes and watches the players if you have a really talented scout they are worth their weight in gold unlike and he he's he was talking a bit about moneyball and he said unlike in baseball i don't think in football you can go too far to data or too far to scouting you have to have a nice blend of both now i don't think anyone really disagrees with that that that's fairly yep. simple and um, he talked about stats DNA as well, and said, you know, that they're brilliant and, and they really help the approach. Now there is some anxiety among some Arsenal fans, myself included, that with Raúl Sanjay, we're going a little bit too much for the contacts book approach. Now, I guess my first question is: is do you share that anxiety, or do you think that there is a blended approach, and actually the contacts? Led stuff is for expedient signings, um, for gaps, you know, stuff like Cedric Suarez and David Luiz, who, who, who I don't think are bad signings at all, and they fill a bit of a need. And and if knowing an agent helps you get those done, or do you think we do it too much, or do you think? So, for example, my kind of thinking at the moment is that where Arsenal are, there is no need for expedient signings anymore. We're not going to win the league. And to, to use your blow-it-up phrase, 
that we we just shouldn't be making those signings at all at the moment. I think those signings come in when you're at a slightly different level. What what's your view on? I guess if you're minded like I am that the coaching is good, what's your view on the kind of executive level and the talent ID? It's it's a little tough one, right? We spent time talking about the coaching, and and the more bits of information we get, and more transparency we see, the more we hear players talk. The more we watch the football, we sort of can build a level of trust that we've got the right set of coaches in place. And we can say that as mature men now because the results have been okay and they're on the uptick, but we're not at the promised land yet, are we, results-wise? You know, we're sitting ninth, etc. But we can see how they're approaching it and by which they're measured, we like what we see. How do we measure the executive? So we measure them by contracts by deals by transfer fees and we're not so good at that you know we're we're we've not been so good at that for a long time you know so the transfer record seems to be improving some of the players that we've bought recently have been okay but then you get a couple of deals that come up that bring suspicion and how they're done i mean the set the suarez deal what's going on there right mm. it doesn't look elite you know we didn't need to pay a million pound loan fee to southampton to get him and then pay sixty-five thousand pound a week wages for half a year we didn't need to do that so you know we're looking to create some sort of unity in the club which is great you know the the pay cuts etc and we're trying to connect everyone together and it's all great and then you see that deal and it it, it makes us look disconnected it makes us look not elite so we have elite coaching behavior players looking to buy into elite coaching structures and then we have a leadership that we don't really quite trust yet and how is that going to change it's going to change by smart actions in the marketplace by smart increases in our commercial value by understanding there's a link between that leadership and our ownership and can they supplement what we're trying to do there are certain measures by which a fan judges their football executive leadership that we are really failing on at the moment Tim or at least there's a debate to say we're failing on because some of these deals don't smell right to me you know and these are things we never had to worry about under Arsene Wenger's regime and if there's something you know i i do feel we, you know he was too long on the bench should have been upstairs many years before and the reason why is i just think the guy is beyond reproach when it comes to morals how he behaves his his view of looking at the horizon and football in a holistic way is just the greatest i've ever known right so how can you have an arsenal man of 22 years just not being anywhere near the club anymore. And that's um, down to mismanagement of our leadership, of our coach. We should have we should have moved him away to bring him back into a role. We can't lose that knowledge to the club. It's just it's a crying shame to me um, that he's not involved in our football club in some way or form. Because I trust him. I trust how he approaches the game. And I'm still building up my trust with the current leadership. And I so want to trust them. 
but they've got more to do for me. What about you? And well, so the, that leads me on to a question I was going to ask about whether there's any concern in your mind, because there is in mine, I, in terms of what I'm looking at in the rear view mirror. Now, on one hand, I think Emery was an attractive coach for Raul Sanyehi, for example, because mm. Emery, you know, he'd come from PSG and he'd very much come from the we you do as we say kind of model. You just coach and we do everything else. Um, now, that, that didn't really work. And in Emery's subsequent interviews, we discover, you know, he's been quite out there about, I didn't really want Pepe, I wanted Zaha. And yet, the executive team who are apparently ready to give him a new contract while all this is going on ignored him effectively and and yeah. and you can debate whether that was the right decision or not but that's what they did they said no you have him pepe we don't care if you want zaha um and and some of the things that have come out in you know during this lockdown like with arteta kind of intervening in the pay cut discussions for example I mean, how does that pay cut look at the moment where Arsenal are the only team in the Premier League to have done it and the Premier League's about to start again, so no one else is going to do it because it's all starting up again. And if you're a player, how does that look? Like, that didn't strike me as a a particularly harmonious process. Arteta had to insert himself into it. We're reading that Arteta wants to insert himself into the Aubameyang contract negotiations. And on one hand, I'm kind of worried that a mistrust is developing between the the players and the coach and the executive level. But the, the other thing I'm thinking is I think Arteta doesn't think of himself just as a head coach. I think he thinks of himself as a manager yeah. and ma- maybe not quite Wenger, but, you know, Guardiola that are kind of, OK, I've, I've got my guys around me, but I, I'm the guy here and I, I just I, I don't know. Do you share that anxiety that perhaps a bit of friction might develop? I think it's um, more, not not so much friction, but positioning. Mm. I think if Arteta is now positioning himself with his players, so he's managing downwards. That's his job. He's managing downwards, and people can see he's doing that well because the players and all the staff are singing his praises. Right, so. Ex-players are singing his praises. That's always a that's always a little thing, isn't it? Other managers are singing his praises. So the village of football is talking, right? So that's a good thing. So he's managing downwards. You manage downwards, then you start to look upward. You say, hold on, I'm, I'm creating a power base here. My results are not there yet, day by day, but they're coming. You know they're coming. I need you to support me. I need my I need my top striker, my golden boot win. I need to keep him. If you can't keep him, I'll go and keep him. Because I'm going to be judged by this. I'm going to be judged by my ability to be in football matches. And you need to support me in that. So if you can't sort the contract out, I will do it. Right? So what does that say? I said, how do we have a, a quality gap? Right? So I fully think, Tim, I'll tell you now, I fully, this is my predictions, right? Mm. I think there'll be one or two coaching staff members coming on board. I really think that. I think there'll be another name or two coming on board. I think it's going to increase his coaching base, add different skill sets to it. And if I'm the club, I'll tell you now, I'm looking at our executive leadership and I'm adding to it. We just lost our uh, chairman. We may not need a chairman, but we need we need more we need more than we have. You know? We need something that's uh, a bit more representative of the club that it is today, not what it used to be. This is not, you know, this is not the Bank of England club it used to be. 
you know, Hambro Bank executives. There's no longer that's no longer what the club is made up of anymore. It's different. We're a global organisation now. We need to have that reflected on the on the board. So the club has the opportunity to reset itself, and I think Arteta can help drive that from a coaching perspective. But I uh, I just go back to we need to see a little bit more for me, Tim, and maybe it's a bit down your path, and you know how he behaves. We're focusing on Raul. That's one thing. Mm. We've also got Edu as well. Yep. You know, I don't really know how he operates. I know he operates in midfield, but I don't really know how he operates in um, in the boardroom. And maybe something. You know, what do you think? How do you think he's doing at the moment? Mm. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I, d- I don't feel like we have an awful lot of clarity over, not necessarily just over his role, but like what. You know what are his KPIs and what have he, what's he mm-hmm. achieved so far? And and look, he's only been there. He's been there less than a year, so I don't think anyone's expecting the earth at the moment. But there's, yep. I I think there's still, and and maybe it's difficult, you know, because these things are fluid at executive level. Um, you know, could everyone in the organisation they work in completely set out what their directors do and what the split yep. of responsibilities are? Possibly not, but. It, it's difficult with Edu. The the only thing I can say for sure, having followed his career in Brazil, and you know I said this before he walked in the door, was that he always had a, a big relationship with Kia Jarabjian. That was yeah. the only thing I was sure would happen because it it was it wasn't just an incidental thing when he was at Corinthians. It was it was the whole club strategy. Um, you know, Kia had you know he he had a massive influence in that club while Edu was there and Edu had to had had to eat some um you know some some bad apples as well. He got some really good players but you know he had, he had to swallow Pato uh when he didn't want him and that was a massive expensive mistake and 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 I I worry about that repeating here that um because you get that with the super agents, right? Look at look at United got Pogba, and you can argue about whether that's worked or not, but they had to take Mkhitaryan as well. And that's what I worry about. I worry a little... I don't don't lose much sleep over signing David Luiz on deadline day because we need a centre-half. I kind of think... I, I kind of think that's fine to a degree, although I don't think Koscielny's exit was the massive surprise everyone says it was because he, he kind of said that he would have left had he not got injured anyway. Um... But it's it's more the kind of okay. So if we get the good player, who do we have to take next? You know yeah. that that's that's what I kind of worry about, and that's very much been a pattern with with Kia as well. So is Suarez our pato? We don't know, right? Yeah, maybe. And and again, I, d- I don't actually lose an awful lot of sleep over that in terms of if he's the backup to Bellerin kind of fine with me like Bellerin's 25 Suarez is 28 29 he's been in the Premier League a few years free transfer not enormous weight like again I'm I'm kind of all right with that but th- there's just a part of me that thinks how does this fit in to the overall structure like does Arteta want Suarez does Suarez fit what Arteta wants maybe he does um yeah you know, but it's, he's it's... not a bad player. I know we're using him, but he's actually not a bad player. He won the Euros with Portugal, and he was pretty good. You know, I'm not sure what Southampton fans think of him because he was in departure lounge. But I've always looked at him and thought, "You're not bad, you." Yeah. You know, um, and as an Arsenal squad member, that's going to cost them not a lot of money. Yeah, 
that's not a bad sign. Yeah, take yeah. take the Kia factor out if if mm. that worries you at all, and it might not. But take that out, and you think, okay, we've got Southampton's right back as our twenty-eight, twenty-nine. You know, plays for his played for Portugal as backup and competition and support to Bellerin, and and you go, yeah, that's fine, that's all right. Like, you know, ima- imagine we needed a left back, which we obviously don't, and we got Ryan Bertrand, for example. You know, you'd think, okay, yeah. that's that that's decent. He's a decent player. I I, I mean, I guess another thing I I guess we should really address is. To what extent is it even possible in this day and age? Because, you know, a a lot of people kind of complained about us not getting into bed with the super agents and and how it would leave us behind. And I I have a lot of sympathy with with that view. And, you know, even even a club like Liverpool, right, who, who I think everyone agrees have recruited exceptionally, they paid out more to agents last year than any other club. Um, now there's a caveat there because they signed Allison and Van Dyke for huge money, so yeah. kind of of course they did, but they still did. They still paid agents money, and they still paid big money to get those players. And obviously it looks great because they've both worked. But I mean, is it even possible to escape the the whole kind of that? I guess the web of the super agents. And is it better to have them on side than not? I, I don't think you can escape them. I think it's if you have a, all the best players go to a small subset of agents, which just happen to be the super agents. So I've always felt we needed to be near them. I some people may say, well, Clive Keir ain't really that super. Well, but but he's one of the the better agents out there. He happens to be an Arsenal fan, etc. Um, so that's always a good thing, and he's wanted to get close to Arsenal for many years. So proof's in the pudding. When you have a track record of delivery, you can do what you like. So we speak about Liverpool. Michael Edwards promoted up through the ranks. Good data, good decisions, a number of signings that other people didn't see that have just exploded past their expectation. He has a track record. Timo Werner comes up. Liverpool decides the club. You know what? We're not too sure about that. Hey, if Arsenal made that decision right now, there'd be people going mad. They're going mad, you know, because... Because we haven't got that credibility moment. We need to we need that guy. We need that guy. But what Liverpool have right now, their fans trust their leadership because they found one Alden. They found Henderson. You know, they so Mane went there, no one yeah. blinked an eye. Look at him now, right? Salah, they brought him back. I watched him for Rome. I thought he was alright. Didn't expect that. I did see Firmino play for Brazil versus Chile at the Emirates and was wondering, crikey, where does he come from? Next minute, he's at Liverpool. So that was a that was a smart move from, I think, Hoffenheim, I think it yeah. was. That was a smart move. And Dyke and Allison picked themselves. Robertson, another smart thing. Going to relegate club like he did with Wijnaldum. Get their best player. Smart move. Matip, zero. Smart move. Joe Gomez, taking a London boy from under our noses from Charlton up there. I mean... That sort of stuff is just really, really good. When you make that many smart moves, you sprinkle it with an academy kid or two, like Trent Alexander-Arnold, next minute you've won the league. Right? So we need to do some of that. That's where you get your trust from, you know, when we see those sort of actions. And and that's actually quite interesting because one of the things, I can't remember if it was Steve Round who said it or someone else actually was was talking about having more of a presence in London again which is kind of an amazing thing to say when you're a, when you're you know the most storied club in London um but i mean i you know there there's been lots of 
really good articles over the last couple of years about you know my neck of the woods southeast london like the borough i am sitting and recording in right now the london borough of lewisham um you know probably responsible for about a billion pounds worth of footballing talent at the moment um and and you know arsenal kind of i guess re-establishing their presence in their own backyard because you know chelsea of Unfortunately, we're not the only big club in London anymore. You've got Chelsea yeah. there. You've got Spurs there. Palace still have an immaculate reputation. And um, let me tell you, they're building a new training ground right opposite where I used to live for, for their academy, not for their first team, because they recognise where their bread's buttered. Exactly. They recognise that London is a gold mine mm. because there are a number of young players and a lot of black players in London that have got outstanding talents, outstanding talents, they never used to be able to get near academies in the old days, but the academies are full of these young players now. Now, Chelsea have a system down in Surrey where they have a private school down there that they're linked to. So young players get an opportunity to get better schooling. They get they get, they get well-looked-after funding-wise to make sure that their travel costs, etc., are, are not too much. So parents are looked after in that regard, and they make sure that the whole academy experience is positive and it attracts the best talent. They have they have coaches. They can pay more to coaches, so the best coaches go there. It's a it's a trickle down effect. So Arsenal have had to react to this by improving their facilities, which they're doing, improving their academy model, making sure from the top down it's much more efficient. They brought in a guy from Reading. Was his Lee? I'm his second name now. Um, I can't remember his name now. I want to say Lee Hodges. It's the wrong name, but um, the, the, the head of operations. Thank you, yeah. thank you, Tim. They brought him in from Reading, and I know from watching academy football that Reading had a great scouting structure at the academy level. And if he was behind that, we're going to be in good shape, right? So, when I see those sort of actions again, back to the coaching side of things, I trust where that's going. We have we have someone like Per who's also developing our behaviours in a similar way. Arteta is doing with the first team, but he hasn't just imposed himself on top of there. He, how does he know the intricacies of all the Cat One, Cat Two, Cat Three teams across the country? How they operate, where they play, who the best coaches are, all the connections. Well, Lee Hobbs will know that, and other coaches will know that, and that is where we need to be. So we do need to fight the Cobham private school structure. We need to do that. We need to offer something to these players. So they don't go to Chelsea and they come to Arsenal instead. We can't just sit back and say, we're the Arsenal. It's okay. They'll come to us. We'll be all right. But we won't be all right because Spurs' training ground is as good as ours. It's not better. Mm-hmm. Chelsea's training ground is as good as ours. It's not better. They can pay the players the same amount of money. They can offer them the same amount of schooling. In the end, you have to be good and you have to mm-hmm. act good. We're back to the same thing. And I'm really pleased to see this coming back into the club. And and just kind of staying on that, actually, I was just thinking while you're talking as well about, um, you know, some and, and about like the level of education that, that that's there for players at the moment. And I'm thinking, you know, perhaps topically, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment, um, not just mm-hmm. the pandemic, but all over the world. And, I, and I'm looking at some of these these young players, particularly young black players at the moment, like Marcus Rashford, like Raheem Sterling. Um, and, and like Jaden Sancho um, as well, and uh, what's Lillian Churam's son's name? I forgot. Marcus, Marcus. Marcus Churam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, Not you know, a bad player, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's all this stuff going on around the world, and I'm looking at how 
these guys are comporting themselves and using their voices and you know going back to what we were talking about behaviors and you know you what what really comes across is these aren't just gifted footballers now that they're that that they're really like they're really gifted people they're bright intelligent people and i think people are seeing that now which is obviously not to say that they that you know that the young players that used to come through weren't but i think the world's really seeing now that these are these are like these are smart young men who understand you know they have a platform and things like that and they're intelligent and they're articulate and they're considered with it and and i wonder as well whether you know, maybe that can peel back some layers of unconscious. I hope so that it can peel back some layers of unconscious bias that perhaps have existed with with this kind of talent. Um, and and you know that that really what we're seeing now is that, that that these are basically these are fine young men, not just fine young footballers that are coming through. Um, you know, particularly from from areas like London and Manchester and the cities. And and yeah, I I you know. And and you look at someone like Bukayo Saka as well, who's who's coming yeah. through, and 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 he's not just a, a great talent; he's got a great head on his shoulders. And and yeah. I, I think what you're seeing is 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 basically what you've said: is that the academy system is really looking after and educating um, these players as well. And 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 I, you know, I look at the England team at the moment, and and I'm not massively into the England team. But for the last kind of five, six years or so, it kind of hurts that there are no Arsenal players yeah, there, really. Does. Like that World Cup squad only had Danny Welbeck. And I kind of think, oh man, like we, there, there are some really talented kind of young players in this, this like young, diverse England team that's being led by this, you know, quite mature statesman-like player, a uh, coach like Gareth Southgate. And I kind of think, where are Arsenal? There. I, yeah. don't, I don't know if you feel that as well. I, I absolutely do feel that, and I still have a, you know, a lot of uh, feeling for Oxlade Chamberlain because he's probably the only one <laughs> there's anywhere near the England squad that used to be near us. I think um, that way, team in a couple of years' time will be fine because the under 19s and the under is full of Arsenal players, and the under 21s will definitely be full of Arsenal players next year. So in a couple of years, we will, we will be there. Our generation is one two years behind the Manchester United stroke Chelsea generation that's that's really hitting the front forefront now. I think what's what's changing is, is the perception of of young back players. I grew up in the John Barnes era, you know, the Laurie Cunningham era, and it was okay for black guys to be on the wing, but you know what, well, maybe they didn't fancy it on the cold days, and so they didn't fancy it on certain days, and that was a perception at the time. It was a perception, it was antiquated, but that was it, you know, and now it's it's really interesting how John, John Barnes is perceived today. You know, he is probably the best player of his generation, but the only time we see him today is when there's some sort of racial storm and people think his career is around race, which is really, I find, quite sad because he should be in the game in some way or form because how can you have that knowledge, that experience, not be in the game advising players and given the fact that, look at the England team now, the England squad, the England underage groups, look at, look at the academies at Chelsea and Arsenal and Tottenham in particular, there is a there is going to be a change in the dynamics of the players in our football teams and watching our game is becoming increasingly more diverse. And what we're finding now is these young players are changing the perception of who they actually are. They're not afraid to be more rounded. In the, in the days beyond, it was just 
we're just going to play, keep our heads down. We put our heads up, we're going to get blown off. These guys are not afraid now. We look at we look at Rashford. He's got I don't know thirty million followers, wherever he is. Why shouldn't he say something? The work he's done recently, he deserves an MBE. Mm. He really does. He deserves an MBE. I mean, it's incredible what he's done. Where has that come from? That comes from confidence in who you are. I think Gal Southgate's played a major role in this. I'm a huge fan of him, mm. how he empowers the players, how he gives them a platform, he encourages them to be themselves. He brings in the press to get to know them properly, not just on a a 50-minute interview. He brings them in for the media days where he can really do on-the-record, off-the-record stuff. I mean, the guy is just class. He's Once you humanise somebody, you get to see them for who they are, not for who you think the Daily Mail tell you who they are, who they actually are. Once you humanise anybody, you build a relationship with them, you build a connection with them. And once you build a connection with them, you see them just like you'll see them too. I, I can now see them. You know, I can now see them. Once you can see them, you can make your judgment, just like anybody. This isn't a race issue. It's almost a humanity issue. We s allow yourselves to see each other and learn about each other. If you do that and don't follow the structures of perception that's driven to us, that keeps our minds small, you never know. You might just learn something about each other. And the more we know about each other, the more likely we are to be friends. Yeah, yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of something you hear a lot in corporate circles, you know, about bringing your whole self to work um, and, mm. and how, how that can really enhance performance. J just in closing, be before we close this out, I want to go in a completely different direction because um, maybe this is just my perception and maybe we haven't really been talking about any individual players that much, but one player who I think hasn't really been talked about since the whole lockdown um, happened is Nicola Pepe. Um, which, which is quite surprising because, you know, big signing like that. And look, we've we've seen this happen. Like anyone who goes for big money is, is talked about an awful lot. Ozil, Bergkamp, you know, Wiltord, Arshavit. Like it's happened. It happens to all of them. It's just kind of natural. I, I feel like it's gone a bit quiet on Pepe. And Pepe is a guy, I think, who kind of off the pitch very much keeps himself to himself, doesn't really do interviews. You know, you see the odd Instagram story, but he, he strikes me as quite a, a guy that kind of keeps himself to himself. And and some of that spotlight, I think, has come off of him um, a little bit. I wondered if you had any thoughts on, um, A, what... I guess what we can do to see the best from him in the last nine games and whether you think the trail going a bit cold on him in this period um, is potentially a good thing or a bad thing. Like, Because it, it might just be that he's been a bit underwhelming and people aren't talking about him because they're not thinking about him or, or do you think this is potentially a good thing just to kind of take that heat off a little bit? I, I think so. I think... By the way, I do worry about him a little bit, Tim, because we can all see these, his potential. You know, we're all secretly hoping we've got a superstar on our hands. And when he does certain things on the pitch that he basically can't be stopped, we get so excited. But then he gives the ball away inside the last third, and we think, oh, my God, what have we got here? And you see him jogging after it like a three-year-old. That's not going to work, right? So he's not a rounded player for the price that we paid, and he's a 24-, 25-year-old player. We hope for a little bit more than that. Now, it's a challenging first year, and people coming from France don't always adjust, and we have to give him that time. Now he's had a situation where he is you know, almost having two starts at it. He's another preseason, mm -hmm. which he didn't have last year, and then he's going to start for nine, ten games, and then he's going to stop again and then start again. 
we may not see him till the next restart, shall we say, to the, to the end of the year. And I think, you know, maybe some of the younger players like Nelson may share that time with him on that pitch. But I really want to see him take over, you know, our team a little bit more. Mm. I think we may see more of him once we settle potentially into a, into a new shape on the playing side. I think we've seen some, you know, we've seen some things around the 4 3 3. We played them a, a couple of halves in these games, which I'm really pleased. We need to develop that system alongside the 4 2 3 1. I think that will define him a lot more. That may move him inside a, a, one step rather than being on the exterior of the team. I think once he's inside and he's, he can see the post a little bit more, I think we're going to see more of him. You know, my views on that. And in the 4 2 3 1, it be, I think him and Ozil are too close to each other in, in skill set. And I think they are they just they're in the same zone for me, mate. While offering the same pluses and same minuses up to a certain point. And that to me is not balance. So um there's a decision to be made there. One thirty one lost his boot contract. Yeah. <laughs> three million three million pound a week in the last year of his contract and one is the highest record signing. There's a decision to be made there quite quickly. It's not about who's my favourite player, it's just how we how are we going to invest in one player or not? And um, we need him, Tim. We need that. We need that signing to work, don't we? We can't afford that signing not to work. It's not good. Yeah, I mean, Abamyang's thirty-one, one year left. Özil's thirty-one, one year left. Lacazette's twenty-nine, two years left, contract-wise. Um, you can see who the future should be, and you've got these young guys like Enketia, Martinelli, Saka coming through. And mm. really, you want. Pepe to be your future um, at this stage and, and perhaps a couple of obstacles are about to be removed for him um, but as you say that that's not going to happen in the next nine games um, and, and I, I just hope we can kind of keep him engaged I guess until that and that he's ready um, if and when we get to the stage where we go right everyone else is gone now mate it's down to you sink or swim um, kind of thing and, and, and I hope that he's ready for that. I Do you think he's alpha enough? I see I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Um because no I mean one know, no one knows him do they really? No, no cuz we like he had that at his previous club, didn't he at, at Lille? But Lille and Arsenal is is playing on the counter attack with Lille and leading the Arsenal attack are, are two different things and you know, I, I don't know. He he strikes me as an introvert, right? And um yeah. we always judge introverts um, I think we tend to think that introverts aren't capable of things like that, but but they are. Bergkamp was an introvert. Um, yeah. He kind he kind he got it done all right. Vieira was an introvert. But like people, um, I think seem to misremember Vieira as this like screaming, shouting pointer. He wasn't at all. He he was t- he didn't he didn't talk on the pitch. He didn't remonstrate. He was he was very not insular, but I think quite an introverted character. No problem leading the team, though. Um, So, you know, I I think it remains to be seen with Pepe. But, um, yeah, I I mean, I I guess we'll see in the fullness of time. But I'd just love to have for him to have a couple of big moments, you know, towards the end of the season. You know, maybe we're in a cup final or something and and he curls in a free kick. Like, at the very least, even if we don't get nine, ten great performances, I'd, I'd just love to see something that leaves you going into the summer thinking, okay, you know, maybe he's had his Pires season, maybe he's had his Henri first season, and here he is now. And I'd, I'd love to feel excited about that 
um, going into next season. But let's see. There needs to be no debate about him. If he can yep. make these nine games, take the debate away. Yep. Then we can't wait for next year. Then we're looking at our summer transfer business where we're going to spend hundreds of millions. We're looking for who we're going to partner him with, and that's yep. <laughs> that's what you want to be dreaming about in the months of August, etc. Exactly. Yeah, exactly that so that that's been an hour so i think we'll leave it there um clive thanks so much you can follow clive on twitter at clive pafc clive thank you thank you very much i've been your host this time around tim stillman you can follow me if you wish on twitter at stillberto um elliot and paul and scott will all be back uh, next week as we look ahead to the season and um, I do, we, we just want to say thank you for kind of sticking with us through this kind of three month period where we've been, you know, there, there's been a bit of pressure on us to come up with ideas for things to talk about. But to be honest with you, I, I don't think we found that that difficult. There's always stuff to talk about. Um, and, and I think we could have gone another month more <laughs> quite easily. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week. Obviously, we've got games, so we'll be doing post-match stuff. We'll do pre-match stuff. Um, we might do shorter form stuff as well, since um, most of us are housebound at the moment and we've got the time to do that. So uh, thanks so much for kind of sticking with us during this period. And we're really looking forward to getting kind of normal service going again. And, and personally, I can't wait until Wednesday, at least until the first five minutes of the game or so. <laughs> um, but anyway, thanks very much for listening. We will be back next week. And until then, stay safe and we will speak to you probably before Manchester City nil, Arsenal 10. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.